As we remain standing for the honor of the very word of God being read to us, it is a living word which cuts asunder between soul and spirit and reveals the very intent of the heart. This is no mere book. This is a living word of God, and so let's now receive it as such as we now turn to it in Isaiah 51. One verse this morning for our text, even though I will be going to other portions of the scripture to unpack a little bit more this morning of this wonderful exercise and activity of thanksgiving. Isaiah 51, verse 3, now hear the word of the Lord. For the Lord will comfort Zion, he will comfort all her waste places, he will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in it, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. Our gracious Father, we ask that your spirit would now descend upon our hearts to have us receive the things of God and that we might eat of the bread from heaven and that Christ might be our fill, that as we contemplate and understand even more what he has done for us, what he is doing this very present hour, that our hearts would be full and overflow with praise and thanksgiving to the one and the only one to whom it is due. So bring forth the fruit that would delight you and that would please you and that would give us the greatest joy in glorifying your holy name. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Isaiah gave this prophecy to God's people in a time when they were not living faithfully in their covenant obligations. God prophesied judgment that would come upon them, and he would chasten them with his chastening hand. It would not be long after this that God would then take his people, even exiled from the land of promise into Babylonian territory, and would there keep them for a number of years till he would bring them back. But afterwards, he would rescue them. He would rescue them from their demise and from their, their estate, and he would bless them once again. And we see here a part of the grand story of God's reversals of the fall from his curses to his blessing. He will comfort Zion once again from their present distress. He will make their wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in it, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. I think that last phrase of the verse there, the grammar can couple joy with thanksgiving and gladness with singing so that it could be translated something like this. Joyful thanksgiving and glad singing are characteristically found in her. Now this is the image of God dwelling with his people in this glorified garden of Eden where the atmosphere of that dwelling place, of that garden, of where God is with his people is an atmosphere of joyful thanksgiving and mirthful singing. 
And what makes the glorified Garden of Eden even better than the original one is the remembrance not only of his creative works, but the remembrance of his redemptive work that is now added to them for their joyful mirth and gratitude. Now coming into this Thanksgiving week, I wanted to preach to you on how Thanksgiving to God increases our joy and our gladness. I want to consider three truths about Thanksgiving from several passages, one of which we'll turn back to from Romans chapter 1 that we read just a short time ago in our liturgy. Thanksgiving properly centers us on God. And that's the first thing I'd like for us to consider for Romans chapter 1. Thanksgiving properly orients us to God in the proper and true way. Romans chapter 1, beginning of verse 18, I'll read it once again, but I want you to notice the pivotal verse of this entire passage is in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifested in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. That's our pivotal verse there. But became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of an incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, in conclusion, God gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, thanksgiving and praise is the life to which God has called us. It is one of our chief purposes of the redeemed humanity. It is part of the atmosphere of that Garden of Eden, as Isaiah spoke, one of which we are to even cultivate and to further expand that would take the glory and the knowledge of the glory of God throughout all of the world, so that as the waters do cover the sea, so God's glory extends this. The focal point of the sin in this passage, as I mentioned to you, is in verse 21, and that is a thankless spirit. Ingratitude to God is a root sin from which other sinful attitudes and characteristics spring. But conversely to that, a spirit of thanksgiving to God is a root virtue from which other virtuous attitudes and characteristics flow. Thanksgiving and praise spring forth from a heart of gratitude, from a spirit of awe, it, is, it begins down deep inside within the spirit of man. It is not merely something. In fact, you cannot do it merely as an activity of the outward man. It cannot become a duty or it ceases to become what it truly is. 
See, thanksgiving begins down here. Praise begins down here. And then springs forth somewhat uh, spontaneously and, and involuntarily as it spills out of our full hearts. And that is truly being thankful. See, Thanksgiving in the Old Testament was even given to us in a form of a sacrifice. There was a, something called the thank offering. It was a subset of the peace offering of which the offer even participated along with God in the eating together of that sacrifice. Now that was a completely voluntary offering and it was left to the offerer's desire to bring it voluntarily. He would bring it willingly, and therefore he would then bring it joyfully in the right spirit, see, to thank God in a tangible way and to express a heart of gratitude for what great things God had done for him. And this voluntary, impulsive thanksgiving to God is really the will of God for our lives. That's why 1 Corinthians 5.18, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you. So genuine thanksgiving must spring from a heart that has been moved, a heart that has understood who God is, a heart that is moved with what God has done for them and is continuing to do even now. It involves in emotions, not just a will. But it involves the entirety of the whole man. The mind, the will, and the emotions, and joy and gladness are inherent in genuine gratitude. When we speak of thanksgiving, we generally speak of something we do, expressing thanks. But when we speak of gratitude, we speak of the spirit from which that thanksgiving comes. It's a character, it's, it's an abstract, it's a quality in the heart of man that moves man in this voluntary outward giving of thanks. And Romans 1 tells us that the natural man, apart from Christ, does not have the spirit of gratitude. He has fallen, he is at enmity with God, he is uh, against God, and he is focused upon self, and he suppresses the truth, even though he knows it. He fails to recognize who God is. He fails to recognize what God has done for him, what God still continues to do for him, causing it to rain on even the unjust. And they suppressed this truth of their creator. And having done so long enough, God gives them over to even a more debased kind of spirit, much of what we see prominent in our own society today. It is not the spirit that characterizes the Garden of Eden, however. That's not the spirit that he has called us to. That is not the spirit to which he has given us to cultivate. That is not the spirit to which we are going. The atmosphere of the garden is one of joy and gladness and thanksgiving and singing. But the spirit of the fallen man, apart from the work of Christ, that fallenness and corruption is void of mirth and glad singing and joy. See, thanksgiving puts the emphasis upon God. It magnifies God. It makes Him the center of our lives. It really reorients us 
around God as opposed to putting God out on the margins. When we recognize that we are totally dependent upon God for everything, a spirit of ingratitude acknowledges one's um, complete, or a spirit of gratitude acknowledges one's complete dependence upon Him. In every situation of life, in every event and circumstance, but when God is not the center of our lives, ourself is what takes center stage. When we're not God-centered, we're self-centered. Those are your only two choices. We're self-reliant, self-dependent, self-gratifying, self-sufficient. That's a big word today. We rely on our strengths. We tout on our accomplishments. We exult in our talents. We praise our gifts, all of which come from God. But when we suppress the truth in order to bring the focus and attention upon ourself, we become ungrateful thinking that it is we that have made ourselves and not God. And thanksgiving that springs from a genuine heart of gratitude reorients us to God and to who He is and to His works and what great things He has done for us. It centers God where it should be. He should be right in the middle of our lives and right in the middle of everything going on in this world. It recognizes that we all have come from God. And he is to be thanked. He is to be praised. All glory and honor and majesty and praise and power and everything that we have that we can give is God's. There's no room for boasting. There's no room for boasting when one is properly centered on God. This is what Paul was trying to get the Corinthians to understand. It's when he says, therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, and you're Christ, and Christ is God's, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. Whatever you have that's of worth of any good or virtue, you have received it by the hand of God. It was a gift. So give him thanks. Don't boast. So give him thanks and take no credit for yourself. Be of the mind of John the Baptist. He must increase, but I must decrease. So thanksgiving properly aligns us and centers us on Christ. It does require of us some recall. How many times does the Bible say, remember, 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 right? right. In a minute, we're going to do this in remembrance. Remember the Sabbath day. Remember the things that God has done. Remember the Exodus. Remember the cross. Remember the resurrection. Remember the giving of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. Remember, remember, remember. It's going to cause us to take some time to recall and to remember and to bring that into our very present experience by faith to give him thanks. But much to our chagrin, our propensity is... To forget. We forget God. When things are going great, we don't recognize His grace in the hour that brought that wonderful time. 
We don't thank him like we should when we're on the mountaintop of victory. When things don't go well, we tend to first impulsively complain. We tend to do more complaining than we do giving of thanks. We tend to be more self-oriented, self-people-oriented, or event-oriented rather than God-oriented because the old natural carnal man is the natural impulse of the flesh. But we need to retrain that by putting off and putting on the new man. So the next time you're in a trial, learn to give thanks to God in the trial. Let the Psalms be the pattern for you here. Let the Psalms train you in this. When someone cuts you off on the road tomorrow on the way to work... Rather than impulsively respond in the flesh, learn to give God thanks in that moment. When you say, well, how am I supposed to give God thanks when the guy cuts me off? Thank God that you're not in such a hurry that you have to do that. Thank God that you can have an opportunity to glorify him in the way that you respond in that very moment. Thank God that an accident didn't occur. There's all kinds of ways that you can thank God in the moment When things are adverse. When God answers the smallest of prayers, give him thanks. Perhaps maybe you go on a trip somewhere and you ask God at the beginning of the trip. Maybe you pray with your family. Lord, uh, give us a safe trip and help us to have a good journey. And may the car not have any problems on the way to our destination. But we need to stop at the end of that trip and give him thanks for answering that prayer. Don't be presumptuous upon God, but put him in the center of everything that you're about and what you do, because that is where the proper place needs to happen. And thanksgiving with a heart of gratitude properly orients us there. Remember God when you achieve great things and give him thanks, recognizing that it is he and not you that deserves the credit. When you fail in life, of something that you have tried to accomplish, but it didn't turn out like you had hoped. Learn to give God thanks. The scripture says, in everything, give God thanks. That's not a superficial matter. That is not a perfunctory matter. That is learning to understand who God is so that you don't presume upon him and give him thanks. Truly for life today. Pray always, the scripture says, and in so doing, give God thanks. When you're anxious or fearful or nervous or worrying, that's the time to give God thanks. Isn't that what Philippians 4, 6 says? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. And then he will answer by giving us the peace of God that passeth all understanding and to keep our hearts and minds sound in the way it should be. When you're happy and victorious, give him thanks. Isn't that what James says? Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. See, God is in the middle of our lives in every situation and at all times. And so we need to learn 
to resign ourselves completely in the hands of God in every circumstance and give him thanks. Thanksgiving will get you through the dark times in life. And it will also make those good times even more joyful if you are properly oriented. Thanksgiving properly orients God in the center of our lives and gives us the right perspective on life. But secondly, Thanksgiving also sanctifies us. If you would turn with me to Colossians chapter 2, I'd like for us to look at a passage or two in Colossians. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to draw your attention there. If you actually have your Bibles, if you mind turning with me, I want you to see this. Colossians chapter 2. Thanksgiving sanctifies us. First of all, I want you to think about the sanctification in two spheres of your life, both of which are inseparable one from another. The first one is how God sanctifies you as an individual, growing you to be more like Jesus. And second of all, he grows us corporately as a church, and he sanctifies us corporately. So there is a sanctification that's corporate and a sanctification that is individual. First of all, notice with us that Thanksgiving progresses our personal sanctification. The centering of God in our lives has a tremendous sanctifying effect upon us. It is formative. It, it, it shapes our character. It's like wearing a groove in our lives so that we, as a second nature, become something of which we are naturally not in the beginning. It shapes us. It trains our attitudes. It shapes our character. Those inner dispositions toward life and toward one another and toward God. In Colossians 2, he says in verse 6, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Now walking in Christ here, being rooted in Him and established in the faith is characterized with an abounding of thanksgiving. A full heart of acknowledging God pours itself out in gratitude and praise. A life properly rooted in and centered in Christ abounds with thanksgiving. And to help maintain this, this God-centered perspective, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his little book that I've referenced not much, in, I mean some in the, in the very recent past, his little book on life together he encourages us with a particular application. He says to begin each day in God's Word and end each day in God's Word. Now this is an orientation that will help us to keep God properly centered in our lives, and that's its purpose. Now specifically, what he commended was for us not to read anything else before we read the Word of God. And don't read anything else before you go to bed at night. After you read 
the word of God and put your head down to sleep. Open the day and end the day with God in his word and thanksgiving. What a wonderful bit of pastoral counsel that is for us all. And especially, I believe it's good advice if followed because as we think about the reshaping of our spirit to be more God-oriented today, especially when we have these little devices, I'm not even going to ask a show of hands, how many of you sleep with this beside your bed? First thing up in the morning, get it up, right? In, the, in an age in which we have smartphones and computers and where social media is a part of the fixture of the day, or news, or podcasts. How sanctifying is it to pick up the Word of God, saying no to this, and at least get in the Word first before you start your day, and before you, your head hits the pillow, let that be the last thing that comes into your soul. As this God-centered orientation will begin to align your worldview to be more thankful and to be, as a result, more joyful with your life. There's a very practical way of doing this. I want to just put in a, uh, a plug here. We have uh, what we have compiled as a psalm of the morning and a psalm of the evening. You might have noticed in our prayer time this morning, we sang Psalm 8. That was our song, psalm of the morning. What we do is we have a psalm in the morning and a psalm in the evening that we've put and compiled together. There are only 75 psalms apart so that we're not in the same psalm or the same genre of psalms. And, and so this evening, it'll be 75 plus 8. What would that be? I don't know. Thank you. I can't do math on the spot here. And so we have this, this uh, morning and evening pattern of the sacrifice that God has told us in the Old Testament, which is a good pattern of life for us to live. So the morning and the evening sacrifice, which enveloped the entirety of the day, is what we have in terms of an application, psalm of the morning, psalm of the evening. Some of you may not even know about this, but we can provide this for you, and it's neat to see when we're talking about the psalm, oh, the psalm of the morning, oh, Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. And what we see in that psalm is just the little things that God takes and he exalts them into great grandiose honor. And it's just astounding to us. We look back and say, oh, how wonderful is this God. And so as we began to talk and converse among ourselves, even over the psalm of the morning, the psalm of the evening, it helps sanctify us. And, and this will be something that, in fact, I think Keith has actually integrated this into a calendar. If you have a digital calendar, you can ask Keith, send him an email. He'll send you the file. You can port that right in your calendar. If I happen to forget uh, where I am, I, I just go back to my calendar and I look. Psalm of the morning. Where am I tonight? Psalm of the evening. If you need a written copy of that, we can provide that to you. If someone wants to take the project and make bookmarks for us to stick in our Bible, morning and evening, morning and evening, morning and evening. Get up in the morning and read the Word of God before you read anything else. Before you go to bed at night, read the Word of God last before you go to bed without anything else. And let this God-centered life envelop you and reshape your orientation to be God-centered for the praise and the glory of His glorious name. See? So I think there's some good application that Bonhoeffer helps us with there. 
But second of all, in the sanctifying process, not only is it sanctifying us individually, but it sanctifies us corporately, and those two are actually inseparable. If you'd scan your eyes down to Colossians 3, since you're right there in Colossians 3, read verses 15 through 17 with me. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And you see in verse 15 how it speaks about we're all called in one body. And as we're called in one body, be thankful. Be thankful individually for that calling in one body. Be thankful corporately for this one body. You were called in one body, so be thankful. Giving thanks always advances the unity of Christ's church. It has the power to bind us closer together. It keeps the focus on God's work among us. It encourages us that God is at work in every one of us and us corporately. And it is a constant reminder of God's activity here. A couple of months ago, I went out to the Karen Gregg Memorial, which most of you know, in California. I stayed with my brother Steve Walker and his family, and at dinner time, they have a, a, a liturgy. Uh, it's an informal liturgy, just kind of a, a habitual ritual that they go through together. They go around the table, and they began expressing thanks for each member of the table, of their family, for something specific that, of the day or a characteristic in their life. It causes them to come to the table a little prepared. And they go around and they're saying, you know, I'm thankful for, for, for Steve or such and such. I'm thankful for Dad for so and so. I'm thankful for uh, Caleb and for what he did today and helping Mom out. And, and so they each take turns in giving their thanks to God for what the other has blessed them with in some way today. Now, not only did that require little contemplation back on the day, but it recognized the hand of God that blessed them in some way through another member of the family, however small that little blessing may have been. The spirit of gratitude oriented on God, it builds up the unity and the peace of their own family. I, I came back and said, you know, we need to start doing that in the Lovett household. That kind of practice in the church would, be great, would do great wonders for our corporate sanctification. It's important to direct our thanksgiving upward to God. Rather than merely thanking someone for what they have done for us, which is appropriate and good and right, and I hope we do that, but I think we take it up to a whole other level when we thank God for what that person has done for us. And our orientation goes up to God, and it blesses the person probably all the more. For instance, I'm thankful. Let me just give you some illustration of what I'm talking about. Thank God for something regarding a person, right? I'm thankful to God for 
Emma's joyful countenance that blesses me every single time I see her. I thank God for um, the administrative gifts that he has given to Chris and the energy that God has given to him. I thank God for the, the tender and the quiet, loving spirit of a Tony Evans that has blessed me tremendously even by ministering to my mom. I thank God for the outgoing, praise-filled spirit that God has given to Kelly Schultz, who is outward and somewhat uh, of an extrovert, and it really sharpens me, who is an introvert and a little more closed in, to get out of my shell and to see uh, how I need to be more like that. I thank God for the blessed gift of my praying mother. I thank God for the positive and energetic spirit of, of a shift shiftman. And I thank God for bringing Mick and Joanne to us and what a blessing they have been to this body. I thank God for the smiling faces of our children, which testifies of a wonderful blessing that God is doing among us here. I thank God for the servant's heart that he has given to a Lindsay, for instance, and many others here. I thank God for promoting our feasting culture here with people like Mercy and the Lemons and, and Shauna and others. I thank God for the academic gifts that he has given and the, and the ability and the, and the tenacity and the longevity of studies for men like Scott and, and Bruce. I thank God for the medical training. And boy, this could take a long time, right? That he's given so many in this church and a desire that even started that along the way with Caleb and Sam and Joe and Lauren and, 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 and Jacob and, and uh, I could just go on, Pierce. You know, it just keeps going on. I, half the church, half of you. I've always been a little afraid that if anything happened to me and you get a 911 call, I'm going to have 40 people. <laughs> and yet at the same time, I'm thankful. That 40 people are five minutes away who care so much to come to our aid. We could go on and on with this. Round and round it would go, giving thanks to God for every member of this church and finding not only one thing to give him thanks for, but multiple things and fresh things. I mean, things that have just happened in the past day and a half or so or yesterday. I'm thankful to God for Thomas's energy and servant spirit at work when I saw him pour himself in and out of the, the wedding situation there. See, th this God-centered thanksgiving properly orients us and with a proper spirit with God, and it builds up the body, and it advances our sanctification. It reshapes our world from a human-centric perspective to a God-centered perspective. And in gratitude to God, if that truly grips our heart and God is at the center of our lives, it keeps us from complaining, right? It keeps us from bitterness. It keeps us from pride. It keeps us from envy. When I can thank God how he has blessed that person in a way that I wish that I could have been blessed, but he's blessed that person and I can truly be so God-centered that my heart is genuinely 
rejoicing with that person who is rejoicing, that will sanctify me and the body of Christ. In gratitude, God truly grips our hearts. When he's at the center of our lives, it keeps us from these vices. It reorients a different attitude and a spirit within us. It's kind of that replacement principle of putting off the old man with putting on the new. Put off complaining about someone with putting on thankfulness for that person. Putting off gossip about someone by putting on those traits for which you are thankful for that very person. See, But this will not only sanctify you individually, it will sanctify the body. That's a circular kind of upward thing. So that the more you practice this in the body of Christ, the more it's going to have a positive effect of joy in you, and the more it's going to contribute to the unity and peace of this body, which then continues to bring forth more joy, and it just keeps going upward. Our natural tendency is to go downward. By the grace of God, we give thanks. It's cultivating the joyful mirth of thanksgiving and the glad singing of the garden for which God has called us. Sanctified unity is the character of the garden of which Isaiah spoke. It was filled with the saints of God singing and joyful thanking Him out of a heart of deep gratitude. So let's beautify the garden. Let's cultivate this at heritage. The last thing I want to speak on and briefly is something that I believe that we need to be more aware of. Thanksgiving energizes heaven. Thanksgiving is a form of a prayer, and when God's people humbly pray with thanksgiving, God responds, heaven moves, things shake, and things happen. There is a concurrence that occurs between our thanksgiving and praise and God's actions and heaven's energy. When we give thanks to God, it moves heavens. Angels are not left the same. They are energized and God rises up with grace and blessing and mercy and all of this which he delights to do with his people who are humble. He gives grace to the humble. He answers our thanksgiving in multitude of ways. But there's a concurrence of thanksgiving to God and His movement. For instance, let me give you a few examples. God filled His temple with His presence, which was concurrent with the thanksgiving and praise of His people. In 2 Chronicles, we have this when it says, and it came to pass as the trumpeters and the singers were as one to make this one sound to be heard in the praising and the thanking of Jehovah. And when they lifted up their voices with the trumpets and the cymbals and the instruments of music and praised the Lord saying, for he is good and his mercy endureth forever, that then the house was filled with the cloud and the house with the Lord. It goes on to describe that even the priests couldn't enter in because of the thickness of the glory of God that had descended upon the place. A second time, we remember in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, this was the great battle of Jeruel. The Lord went to battle against Israel's enemies without the Israel having to unsheath a sword, and that was concurrent when the people started to praise and give him thanks. God went to work. 
A third example in Daniel chapter 2, God gives Daniel the interpretation for Nebuchadnezzar's dream, which was concurrent with Daniel's praise and prayer of thanksgiving. In Matthew 15, when Jesus then looks up and he has two fish and five loaves, he gives God thanks, and in the concurrence of that giving of thanks, God then takes and miraculously multiplies their portions to feed 5,000 men besides the women and children. When Jesus took the cup on the night he was betrayed, and he gave thanks for it, God worked. And just like he will work this morning, he will work concurrently in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper as we give him thanks. The whole host of heavenly hosts are moved concurrently with the thanksgiving of others to God. And the praise and thanksgiving of some always incites the praise and thanksgiving of others. It's like a yawn. You know what I'm talking about. One person yawns. Next thing you know, another person yawns. It's kind of like when you're in an auditorium in a concert and you hear a person clear his throat. And then, then another person, then another person, another person, right? But if you yawn and you're watching that person, yeah, then that's how praise is too, though. In Revelation 4, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits upon the throne who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders then fall down before him who sits on the throne and worships him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and are created. It always is contagious for the righteous and for the angels. So what is our part to make the Garden of Eden look a little more joyful in our lot here upon the earth in which we cultivate. We are to have a heart of gratitude by remembering what God has done for us of, the, of old and even of today. And then we give him thanks to contribute our sanctified and joyful thanksgiving to God for all that he has done. And this perpetual praise of thanksgiving from our hearts of gratitude is what we are called to do. It is really part of who we now are as redeemed humanity. And it is the most joyful and glorious thing to be able to remember and see and acknowledge what God is doing and to give him thanks. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Continually giving him thanks. At the inauguration of the tabernacle, when they were all finished with the work, 
the fire that came down to ignite the very first of those sacrifices came down from heaven itself. And then the priests were to keep that fire kindled and going for generation after generation to generation. That would be the fire that would be continually going. They would take that and ignite the altar of incense, which are the prayers of the people. They would take that and ignite the burnt offerings and the sin offerings and the thank offerings. It's this continual sacrifice of praise and the giving of thanks that God requires, yes, desires of us. And we, with the right heart, it'll just spill over in spontaneous and voluntary thanks because we understand who we were and now what we are in Christ. To all be glory to him forever. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks. We recognize that we would not be here apart from your grace. We are thankful that you have not given us what we righteously deserve for our sins. We know that you do not owe us any good thing, and yet you would be all good and righteous to withhold that from us. But you have been merciful and gracious, and where our sin has abounded, your grace has much more abounded. You have not rewarded us according to what our sins deserve, but have been favorable to us and shown your everlasting covenant love and have taken us out of darkness into the kingdom of your dear Son where we have the forgiveness of sins, where we share with the inheritance of the saints in the light, where we have the fullness made to us in Christ and where we can look around every day of our lives and always have many things to give you thanks Far more things there are to thank you for than there are things of which our spirits can complain about. Oh God, help us with eyes of faith to see and forgive us for all those times where we fail. Renew in us a right spirit, O oh God, and restore unto us the joy of thy salvation that we might be a perpetual offering of praise and thanksgiving to a God who delights in interceding for us and blessing us. And Lord, we ask that you would sanctify us in this and sanctify this body in unity as we give you thanks for what great things you're doing in each member and with us all in the body, collectively gathered together and united in the Spirit in Christ. For it is in his name that we pray. Amen.